Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devinder Hardwar. This week, I'm joined with Senior Editor Jessica Condit. Hey, Jess, how's it going? Hello, happy to be here. Happy to have you. And <laughs> we're going to be talking about games, of course, because you're you're the gaming queen at Engadget, Jess. So there's a lot of stuff. Uh, there's Redfall. There's Jedi Survivor. Um, there's controversies around these games. And I feel like we're going to see a whole bunch of new titles coming up soon. So you're the perfect person to be on for this episode, Jess. Sit tight, folks. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe to the Engadget podcast on iTunes. Leave us a review there, too. Uh, you know. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Drop us an email at podcastandgadget.com. You can also join us Thursday mornings, typically around 10.30 a.m. Eastern on our YouTube channel, where, uh, you know, we'll do some Q&A, and you can see us show off gadgets sometimes, too. So join us. It's a fun time. I want to get right to this, Jess. We have been waiting so freaking long for Redfall, <laughs> specifically me, the biggest Arcane Studios fan in the world. And this is another high-profile release from Microsoft. They do not have many exclusives, um, you know, especially after the, the whole Bethesda acquisition and everything. So this game is here. Um, I see your title. Good enough for Game Pass. What What is up with Redfall, Jess? Uh, first of all, I love that headline. It's, it's a, a great sick headline. Burn. It's a sick burn on a lot of levels. Um, and yeah, it kind of it kind of sums up my feelings. Uh, Redfall is kind of tragic in in my mind. I was also very much looking forward to this game. Uh, when it was first announced, I thought it was actually going to be more like team-based online. I feel like Arcane, they were kind of like pitching it as an online, um, almost left for dead with, you know, for the new generation. Like that's what I was expecting. And then the marketing started to pivot and it was like, oh, it's a single player campaign. And by the time we got uh, Redfall, it just wasn't ready for public consumption. Like that's that's just the final word on it. This game was not done. And this is after many, many delays too. It's not done even though it's exactly. been delayed many times. It's okay. been delayed a few times. And I think it needed one more big delay and it would have been at least in a playable form. It wouldn't be getting burned the way that it is. Um, and I feel like that was totally Microsoft's decision. It feels like a decision that came from the top. I think any developer especially Arcane, they know how to make a good game. Like I like Arcane games a lot. Um, I actually like Deathloop more than I think the average person even. I love and, Deathloop. Um, I think Deathloop did not get enough love back when it came out. Yeah. Just, so yeah. Totally yeah. And, and Arcane Austin is the studio behind Prey mostly. And like Prey is really, really good. So it was just a shock to play a game in this condition that was so buggy. So like the AI is so dumb. The, the enemies are, they're barely enemies, honestly, most of the time. Um, the Yeah, it's just like there are good ideas here. You can see Arcane's DNA in this game. And there are moments when it works and it's fine. And it's, you know, even a good game. Um, can we, but they can are we describe fleeting. what the game is, first of all? So you're yeah. playing four characters. It's almost class-based, but not quite. They do serve like different roles. Four characters who are all basically fighting vampires and fighting people, uh, I don't know, cultists uh, following the vampires. Um, this is the only game I've played where there's a character that has a name close to mine. So I will say props to Arcane for that. There is a character <laughs> called Devinder, not Devendra, but uh, it's like the Sikh form of a similar name. 
Uh, but I have seen Dev in games. I've seen Indra in games. I, I've never seen the combined form. So props to this game for that. And he's a YouTube influencer who fights vampires. And you know what? I sure. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. Uh, but you're playing, you're picking these characters and there's a single player campaign that feels a lot like, um, honestly, a lot like Borderlands, Borderlands. and those types of it's... games. Yeah. Where you're going around, you're collecting loot, there are missions. There is a multiplayer co-op uh, component, but I don't from what I've seen, doesn't seem that great too. So how does this compare to like what Arcane has done before, Jess? Like I see the kind of DNA of Dishonored here. I see kind of what was happening in Deathloop. And Deathloop was a really interesting sort of like online competitive type of thing too. Like there was a lot going on in Deathloop that I feel like there, there's just very little going on here. Right. So you can kind of see where like Arcane Austin is not the full Arcane Studio, right? But there were different Arcane Studios working on Deathloop. And then also Arcane Austin is working on this game at the same time. And you can you can see that, I think, in this like multiplayer online component that they played with in Deathloop. And they really tried to lean into it. Um, with Redfall. And like, I feel like it makes a lot of sense, like a Borderlands game, but set in a, like a Massachusetts island town, a fictional, you know, island town off the coast of Massachusetts. It feels like very, like CW show town square, like, you know, Pretty Little Liars or something. Like it's all very pretty and It's weird charming. that this comes yeah. a couple of years after the show Midnight Mass, which is also mm-hmm. about something invading a little island community off the coast of massachusetts and similar vibes very stephen king vibes at times too have you seen that jess no i haven't i, I finally watched will, oh, devs though by the way you told devs me to watch good. that forever ago. very that good good. <laughs> um but yeah just just slight tangent here um if you guys are interested in this concept and you want to see something cool midnight mass is super cool and it's one of those shows by mike flanagan who's like freaking an amazing horror director incredible writer so jess right up your alley cool. everybody here go watch that i mean instead of playing this game Maybe. What what has your been your experience with it so far, Jess? So actually, like playing online has been the most successful version of this game for me. Playing with friends is way more fun because the world itself is kind of boring. It's just empty. It's it doesn't feel alive in any way. There's no threat ever in this game. Like you can see the enemies from a mile away. And even if you run right up next to them, sometimes they don't shoot you. Like, it's just like, it's very upsetting. So if you play with a friend, at least you can have conversations while you're walking around. You can say, hey, let's go in this house. Let's find it. You know, and it's just, it's actually like fun. It feels like walking around a neighborhood when you're a kid, you know, just like about to go trick-or-treating or something. Like that's kind of the vibe of this game. Um, So those are like successful moments, you know, and like the characters you talked about relating to a character. I liked all of the characters, like all the main four classes. They're all really interesting. They all have their sassy one-liners. It's very, very like Deathloop in that way. Um, and I, I don't know. I think there are like moments of brilliance in this game, but truly it's just like not satisfying to shoot, especially on console, like actually shooting because it's a first person shooter actually shooting is actually is is just not not the way it's supposed to feel um there's a there's a huge dead zone in the middle of uh, at least on xbox series s which is the console i played on there's a dead zone and there's a massive amount of aim assist which is just like it makes you feel like you're really not doing any work at all you're just like pressing the button to move forward instead of actually getting a skill shot off um and yeah it's just there's no the variety of weapons gets very dull very quickly. It, it's there's there's room for a good game here, and it just falls really flat. It's just it is so. I, again, I feel like I'm playing it. I'm a couple hours, and I'm like, this is perfectly fine. I, I have I, I I'm sort of enjoying it, but I mostly feel like the cringe and disappointment of being like, man, this is this isn't just some studio. This is Arcane. These are the folks behind Dishonored. These are the folks behind Prey, specifically this studio, um, this branch being behind Prey. But I, I kind of love the Dishonored games in a way that I don't think enough people do. I feel like that should also be praised more. Um, if you see somebody teleporting from one location to another in a first-person shooter type of game, it's probably from Arcane. They kind of keep that up here. It just seems really sad because we they know how to make games. They also know how to, like, play with new gameplay ideas and elements i think Deathloop was kind of frustrating if you didn't like follow the actual like tangents of the story and like the way you're supposed to play that game which is a lot of like repeating through cycles and figuring out plot lines this could have been more straightforward this could have been more like a destiny like a thing 
what do you have a sense of like what this game was trying to be before it kind of pivoted into something maybe a little more mainstream? I think that's a little closer, like a Destiny kind of game, an online experience, Borderlands, but leaning into just like online play. Like that felt like what Arcane wanted it to be. And maybe that's the assignment they were given to make. Um, I don't know how the Microsoft Studio system works. And that's another thing. Like this is an in-house project for Microsoft. They own this studio. And we haven't seen, like Microsoft bought a ton of studios. We talked about consolidation in the industry. We're waiting to see the payoff of, of all these really interesting studios getting a lot of money, but now being, they have to partake in this studio system that maybe controls more of their creative process than we thought, maybe controls when they have to release a game right. in ways that end up in something like Redfall. I um, almost feel like yeah. maybe maybe there's a sense of like desperation here from Microsoft Jess, like because what we have seen, right, since um since the launch launch of the Xbox Series X and S, uh you reviewed the S, I reviewed the X, and I said like this is incredible hardware. Man, do they need games. It is now three years later. Man, do they need games. Again, like Halo Infinite was delayed for a year and launched also in like a semi-broken and unsatisfying state for a lot of people, especially like hardcore fans of Halo. It kind of feels like Microsoft just cannot. I don't know if this is a corporate thing or if this is just like they keep they keep having a lot of bad luck or something. Do you have a sense of like where things went wrong, Jess, for, for Redfall? Well, yeah, I mean, I think Redfall is a symptom of what Microsoft is focused on right now, which has been cloud gaming and expanding in that way. They, they're they trying to break out of the, the traditional console cycle, and I think they've done it. Like now they're trying to build an ecosystem where everyone can live and thrive. And it just, the focus hasn't been on the games. It just hasn't. They've just been buying studios and saying, maybe that'll solve our problem, right, our software right. problem. We they own know all how these to make games. They yeah. can do the games. But they're not. They're just not. And I don't know where that tension is actually coming from. Like, why? <laughs> why hasn't Compulsion Games, the studio behind We Happy Few, we haven't heard from them in a long time. And I was actually so stoked that they like were getting funding. Um, but now I'm a little, I'm a little worried about all the studios that Microsoft owns. And I think their focus on Game Pass. And like Redfall launched day one, same day as launch on yeah, Game as Pass. all their first party so, titles do, yeah. Right, so like they know people are going to play it. Everyone with a Game Pass account can just play Redfall, whether it's trash or not. They don't have to spend any money. And and then maybe people, enough people will play it where they can get the game in a shape where it actually runs. Is this just a sneaky early access version? Like, then don't charge $70 for it. If you're not in Game Pass, you still have to pay $70 for this game. It's being sold as a finished product. And I think that's sneaky because the developer, like Arcane and Microsoft both knew this was in no shape for for people to play it. They knew that. Like, yeah. Is this is this almost like game development kind of going the way of like Netflix shows where they're like, this is good enough. This will keep people subscribed to our thing. Like, just just push it out. Just push it out. Doesn't matter if like the art is itself is actually good. I'll also point out this is a true exclusive for Microsoft. So this is an exclusive in the way that Halo Infinite is. This is not on PlayStation 5. It is on, you know, PC and other game stores on PCs, but that's, you're playing on Windows. So you're still in Microsoft's wheelhouse there. Um, this just, I don't, I don't know, Jess. I don't, I, I look at this and I'm like, what is happening here? Should I, should I be worried about the Activision deal because Microsoft can't help these studios get to the finish line honestly like would it be better if activision was its own thing or split up and bought by somebody else because i can't trust microsoft with games right now i think that's where i'm coming down with it right we can't trust activision with games either but yeah, that's, true. that's um, true no but i but i will say like this is why consolidation is such a concern for me personally because i see like we even have valve 8 campo santo and we haven't seen a peep out of that amazingly talented indie team. Like this isn't just Microsoft, but Microsoft has bought the most amount of studios like most recently, right? Like they really snapped this off. Um, and I, I seriously, I love the fact that these teams are getting support and money, but what is the cost? And this is what we're finding out now. Like, is it gonna change how they make games? And if Redfall is an example, then maybe. And that's that's very disappointing. 
Yeah. This is probably a good place to briefly talk about the, you know, the Activision deal as well. Um, we talked a couple of weeks ago. The UK regulators, um, you know, put, uh, came out against the deal because they're worried about overconsolidation in the world of cloud gaming as well. So, you know, we talk about Game Pass as a subscription thing, but this this could also be a good cloud gaming type of game. And do you do you worry, Jess, like when it comes to the future of cloud gaming and how Microsoft is handling things now? and leading to the future like do you think it's not a good sign if they over they buy too many companies as well there i mean i think it's just really a shame that that truly it feels like the xbox brand is very separate from quality games nowadays and that didn't used to be the case and it doesn't have to be the case i i feel like microsoft has just lost its focus on actually you know, creating video games like the core of what we're all doing here and it, and hey focusing on the network all this infrastructure stuff we truly need it like the cloud network that microsoft has is pretty it's very impressive and i think it's it's a backbone of the future um but no it just i i feel i feel sad i am a little heartbroken that like xbox is not synonymous with with quality games right now and i i don't see it changing i don't know it's we we are in a weird spot folks so let us know what you think about like the state of microsoft redfall if you're playing it if you have game pass you might as well play it right like that is the sort of like half-hearted yeah. well it's there and i'm subscribed to this friends. thing so play with Jump friends online with friends only if they have game pass <laughs> so they don't have to pay for this please do not pay for redfall please please do not pay for redfall that's the big thing there um you know we'll be following what's happening with microsoft too like it's it is very strange that you know they have bought all these companies and just the games are not coming out. But let's talk about another game. And that game is Star Wars Jedi Survivor, which I've played a bit as well. Another like highly anticipated thing and also launched with its own set of like controversy. I don't know if you spent any time with this, Jess, but the PC version of this game and honestly all the versions has been kind of like a mess on launch day. They've slowly gotten better. Have you heard much or played much of this, Jess? Yeah, so I've kept up with the controversy. I haven't played Jedi Survivor. Um, we had Igor did our review and he, I mean, very detailed, knows what he's, knows what he's doing, loves that series. So that was really cool to read. Um, but I've been keeping up with all the PC controversy and yeah, that's another disappointing turn for the industry right now. I believe Digital Foundry called the PC version of this game the worst PC port they've ever seen or at least one of the worst they've seen in recent years. I, Hey, I have um, GPUs that I review, and I have to keep them in cycle because when a new GPU comes out, I have to go back and re-benchmark every goddamn thing. Um, so I have some powerful GPUs, folks. And let me tell you, when this game launched, um, I was seeing sub 40 frames per second on a 4080. I haven't gotten to the 4090 hooked back up yet, but that's not good. That's not good for like a 4080 costs $1,100. And I'm also running a CPU. I'm running like one of the um, higher end Ryzen ones right now. I think the 6800. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what was going on there. Um, EA put out uh, kind of an apology notice to PC players on Steam being like, we know this is not like this is not the performance you're expecting. They're working on it. They did point to like specific configurations could be causing these problems. And that also felt a little weird, like putting the blame on the user, like, Hey, sucks for you, person who bought a high-end GPU, but your CPU is like bottlenecking things. That's not our fault. Nope. That's your fault. And not And not it's just disingenuous. Yeah. It's totally disingenuous because most people are having issues with this game. And like it's not just a small subset of people. And the fact that, yeah, a, a 4080 can't run it or can't handle it doesn't fix the problem. That says everything. Most people are not playing on that high end of a rig. Like just it's just true. And and developers know that they can't just build a game for the highest bleeding edge rig that's out there. Like that's that's silly. But that's it's not even Jedi Survivor's problem. It, this is like a, yeah. a a coding issue. This game is broken. It's not gonna be fixed and it, and that's launch, not okay. well it does seem like it's going to be fixed. Like um there have been a few more updates since the first day. And hey I'm getting 60 FPS now. I'm getting over I'm getting like nice smoother playable stuff. And that that's good. Clearly there's progress. Like the game looks smoother. It has ray tracing features. It has DLSS as well, I believe. Um, so all those things like help to improve performance. It is just shocking, like how it launched on PC, and you know people are talking it. about the console. They knew it. It's like they just like Microsoft. Like, they knew it's one of those things. Like you know, it's not good, 
and you're just going to go for it because it's Star Wars and you got to meet this date. You got to be up before May 4th because that is the, you know, global Star Wars celebration day, I guess. Yeah. It's not the only bad PC port we've gotten this year, like or recently, like Last of Us Part 1 was trash. Uh, Callisto Protocol was trash for a lot of reasons, but it was also trash on PC. You know, like <laughs> this this generation um, of hardware is really pushing PC ports to their limit, it seems. Um, and actually, I think we're going to have a video from Igor kind of diving into why Jedi Survivor is so broken. So that's going to be really cool. That'll be a video on our YouTube. That's very cool. Well, yeah, there there have been a series of things. But let's let's talk about the actual game. Did you play Fallen Order, the last one, Jess? No, I, I'm not a huge Star Wars person. Okay. More Harry Potter. These are That's good. What these, it are, is. these are these are fun. I will say that. Like I am I'm not a super Star Wars fan, but you put a lightsaber in my hands and you give me like Star Wars vibes and star, like the great music and cool adventure. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll play this for 10 to 20 hours. And I had a lot of fun with Fallen Order. Had some great villains. It had some great like it was a great mix remix of the like Star Wars formula. And it's from Respawn, you know, the folks behind Titanfall. Um, it has that feeling. It has just like smooth movement, smooth combat. Um, I think this game is even better because they give you kind of more variety for the combat. You could go dual. You could have a lightsaber in each hand. You could go Darth Maul style lightsaber, you know, staff, basically double-ended. You could go one lightsaber plus a gun if you want. So the combat is a lot of fun. They're having like, they're just like really changing things up. And clearly they spent a lot of time thinking about that. Uh, there's fast travel now. I don't know why that was not really well implemented in the first game, but the first game had these huge maps and there was, there was like a 3D Metroid, Super Metroid-esque map to like show you where things are. But sometimes you have to like basically walk for 15 minutes to get to a point if you want to get to secret. Now you can fast travel between points uh, more like an, an Elden Ring or something. This is clearly a more like mature game. Um, and I'm just having fun with it. I think Cal Kestis is not the most interesting character in the Star Wars universe, but the people around him are um i wish this game started stronger because the first game also had like a really great opening sequence um both of these games do a good job of like giving you huge environments um star wars star wars stuff like fun star wars stuff you want to see big starships you want to see weird creatures and big action and you want to hear the sound of the you know the actual i don't know the laser pistols and the actual lightsabers this is the game for you so i think this one is still a lot of fun i'm enjoying it jess i would recommend play the first one to spend some time with it it's worth it um also something that could probably run on a steam deck or something for you that's true i have yeah. access to an Aya neo right now so hmm. Hmm. there you go so which is smaller yeah, it fits better in my hands than a steam deck yeah. by the way yeah yeah yeah. the Aya neos <laughs> and they're more powerful too and i think we we could we'll be seeing the uh the asus one soon too so Good time for that. Good time to like play these games handheld too. But yeah, once again, folks, let us know what you think about Star Wars Jedi Survivor. I'm really digging it. Um, it's definitely keeping me more hooked than a lot of other recent games. Like I still have God of War. I have the, what was the last one? Ragnarok. I put maybe four or five hours into that. I just can't keep going because it's not compelling me the way these games really? tend to. So yeah, yeah. Even though I know it's good. People keep saying it's good. I hear there's some good twists. Yeah. I just like, it is one of those things that just like, Maybe it's the inertia of just being super tired at the end of the day. And I usually just end up in front of my computer. I'm like, okay, co computer, play game. I play game yeah. on computer. I don't have to like go set up and turn on PlayStation and everything. So that's just my weird setup. And being, you know, I don't know, the parent of two young kids, it's all the life and energy sucked out of me. But one day I will go back to God of War it. for now. Jedi Survivor is pretty good. <laughs> Let's move on to some other news. And one thing I want to mention is uh, the Writers Guild of America, the WGA, is going on strike. And that is, you know, those are writers for TV and film. And I think WGA covers maybe some other other stuff. But these writers are going on strike because they are not getting paid enough for streaming content. And they're also worried about, like, what the future of AI could mean for their actual business. So... This is something I'm bringing up now because it does kind of relate to what we talk about very often. Um, the way streaming works means that writers aren't getting as much money as they used to when like an episode of a show was rebroadcast on network TV or something. Your uh, writers are talking about um, not being able to make enough money to 
basically survive in LA and basically having to like steal food from their studios to keep going. Um, it's not great. It's not a great situation. So we will probably be doing some coverage around this. I just want to highlight this as a thing that our listeners should be thinking about because I think AI is probably a big factor here too. Um, we've seen some companies already announce like they're, you know, canning thousands of potential jobs. IBM just announced a big thing because the, uh, those roles will be replaced by AI. And I'm sure studio executives are being like, well, look at this GPT-4 thing. This can write words. All I need is words to make the pictures. And looking at some recent movies that were made for Netflix, I'm like, that could have been written by, by AI, sure. And it was still like wildly popular for Netflix. So Jess, you are an actual writer, not just like a tech blogger, low life like <laughs> me. Um, you're a writer. How do you feel about this? as like looking at the future of of media and of TV and movies. Yeah, I mean, personally, I thought so I thought the writer strike was mostly about AI before I started reading like what was actually going on. It's a very complex issue obviously. Um but yeah, I think about AI in video games and in writing a lot. Personally, I am not worried about AI taking any of my jobs. Um I'm not worried about AI taking any of the high level creative jobs like i still think we need humans to create art that is worth in in vibing <laughs> um and i think that's not going to change for a while i i don't think chat gpt is anywhere close to a good writer that is just not um and yeah so i i understand the the fear the hesitancy i see ai as a tool I think it can take a lot of the grunt work out of the jobs that we do and I think even out of writing it's just it's like a like a better search engine it's a it's a starting place it you know you, it's it's a helpful tool in a lot of ways. Do you see the danger though like I think what a lot of people are worried about is um I saw C Robert Cargill the writer behind um Sinister and a whole bunch of great horror movies and he used to be an online writer he used to be a blogger mm -hmm. on Ain't It Cool yeah. News. Um he was saying like the real worry too is that it's not just that we'll be replaced by AI, but that we will have to clean up AI, basically. Like, they will do, like, give me give me a synopsis. Give me, like, a story pitch for a movie with these factors, you know? And then they bring in a real writer to be like, okay, fix this. And yeah, I do feel like that happens studio. a lot for movies. That is but just that studio. that happens now, yeah. Yeah, that's that happens just studio now, but that being, also like, means, looking at, yeah. That means that writer doesn't get full story credit. You know, that means that writer is there to fix the mess of the AI. But the AI is taking like the potential money an actual writer could have been doing. Like that is the thing there. Um, to me, well, that's that seems the like issue. A potential danger. Mm -hmm. That's an issue with any corporation that is focused on making money and not making art. I think that's just that's a that's a human issue. Um, I I hope that there will still be people creating you know art that's worthwhile using actual human brains and creativity. Um, and then AI can just be a tool that they use. But yeah, I think the structure, the structure where there are a lot of people in charge that maybe don't have the actual art on their minds, like that's, that is an issue. Um, but I, I do see it as more of a systemic problem than just like AI is going to be the downfall of, of everything. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, kind of both, like maybe a slow downfall. And also if writers right now are saying they're not making enough money to live, you know, like that seems like that's a problem, a problem. especially that's if they're writing on major shows. Um, I think it was um, writers from Abbott Elementary were talking about like how they're they're just not making enough just from working on that show. And that is a big mainstream you know, broadcast network show. That's not even something that is just made for streaming, but it does get rebroadcast to streaming. It is on Hulu and stuff, and they don't they don't make any money from that. So this is something we're thinking about. Um, I'm seeing some conversations in the chat. I'm not going to call anybody out specifically here, but you should probably care about writers because if you like anything, anything, you have do you like a movie? Do you like a TV show? Doesn't doesn't come from the, like the the head of zeus or something right it is writing and words and thought that makes literally everything you like and enjoy and you should probably think about like when all the writers are saying like this is a problem and we are being taken advantage of by this studio system you should probably pay attention otherwise enjoy really like crappy reality tv or whatever recycled ai content they're going to give you
Like that's what's that's what the future is actually going even to reality be. TV is scripted. They have writers. A lot of, a lot of it is scripted, but a lot of it is also just, um, hey, we have a scenario where they just kind of like see what the chaos rules do. But yes, they also have writers. They also have writers. Um, and people can create stuff without being part of the WGA. They can be scabs and they can just like make stuff because the studio is desperate for people. So, hey, this is a weird situation and we're going to be talking more about it because I think it, it is essential to what we do. I cover media quite a bit. I review movies and TV all the time. So I I care about what the writers think and I think we should too. In other news, uh, yeah, there was a story about the White House uh, proposing a 30% tax on electricity used for crypto mining. This seems pretty straightforward. Um, In a blog post uh, that the White House posted, they're calling this the Digital Asset Mining Energy or Dame Excise Tax. And uh, it wants to tax crypto mining farms because they aren't paying the full uh, cost that they impose on others, which includes environmental pollution, high energy prices. any thoughts on this, Jess? This just seems like a pretty straightforward yes to me. Please, let's do this. Yeah, sure. I yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. We can't about stop the, the crypto. <laughs> we can't yeah. stop the crypto, but we can make them pay more. Um, I also fun. think, like, yeah, the government needs to like freaking look harder at what power companies are doing. Um, I live in Georgia, and Georgia Power is uh, currently talking to the state government. That's just like, hey, we need to charge people more money because. Um, Fuel got more expensive, so I need the customers to pay for this and not us because we were too dumb to not invest enough in you know renewable energy. We bought more; um, they bought gas, fuel, and uh, inv- invested more in coal, and because of that, prices went up. And that's apparently customers' problems. So energy and the way we think about energy in this country is kind of a huge mess too. We talked a little about Texas's power grid and like what a disaster that whole setup is as well. They're all kind of like handled separately per state um this is at least something and especially because crypto is out there um destroying the environment for nothing just just for make-believe money i guess in other news we cannot um it is yeah it's all (laughs) make-believe in other other news um we cannot go a week without talking about elon musk and the dumb things elon musk is doing there was a story recently that he reportedly threatened to reassign npr's twitter account because they stopped posting so hey free speech warriors like the the online free speech warriors who demand nothing but free speech this doesn't sound like free speech to me and this seems like a major problem for elon and like whatever what they want twitter to be i don't know are you spending at any time at all jess or have you kind of like moved over to another service i actually like the last tweet i sent was maybe a week or two ago and it was me saying I'm out of here for now. I just, it's a, it's not a place I want to hang out, not people I want to hang out with <laughs> run by someone that I truly despise. Um, yeah, it's, it. it's just, it. yeah. And honestly, the NPR, like labeling NPR as a government um, news organization, that was, that was truly like one of my final straws. Yeah, because he knows what he's doing others. and he's just cackling and trolling and, about it. Yeah. yeah, and it's just to claim that you want, yeah, that you're standing for free speech and democracy while you're destroying the freedom of the press and the this the trust helping erode trust in actual um, media and free press. Like it is, it's just um, counterintuitive and very harmful. It's me, um, so. it is hilarious to see how much like those free speech warriors kind of fail once they actually get put into place to actually make these things happen um in other twitter news by the way uh the company is restoring free api access for emergency weather and transportation alerts i feel like this is too little too late another boneheaded move where um twitter basically said it was uh, shutting off its api and forcing people to pay a lot of money to use it which for many many organizations especially government organizations like twitter twitter just functions as like an alert system you know and an information thing and the New York Department of Transportation, a lot of like um, transportation and government organizations just said like, we're just, we're not going to do this anymore. There's no reason to invest in the service. And again, it's another thing of like Elon shooting his own foot. And related to all of this, by the way, uh, Blue Sky, the sort of uh, alternative, the thing um, potentially launched, uh, the thing like it was co-launched with a lot of money by Jack Dorsey, you know, the original founder of Twitter. Um, Blue Sky is blowing up. 
So that's a thing. I haven't gotten an invite yet, but I, do you have any thoughts on like Blue Sky? Would this be a place you go next, Jess? This is more appealing to me than like Mastodon, which I think is just like mostly like tech industry people, um, which is fine. That's a cool resource. But I think Blue Sky is closer to like the the mass, you know, population. Ma- Mastodon is like when I, I, I have this experience because I also work there. But when you're in college and you go downstairs to the basement and you're in a computer lab. And it's like, it is that, it's yes. that community of folks. They're great. They're earnest. I love them. Um, they're my people. But, oh, man, sometimes they live on another planet. So that is Mastodon. Uh, Blue Sky, um, there have been so many other things. We talked about um, social. What was it? One of the social things. Um, and also True, host. No. True, not true not social. True, so, not, not there was another, <laughs> there were so many like these Twitter alternatives. And then there was post, which was one other thing that launched. And that was the one trying to be like, we will pay you for your content and we'll be more verified and everything. I never trusted post because that is also another like weird BC backed thing that just seemed like it was doomed to fail. For me, at least Mastodon proved like we could do decentralized pretty well. And Blue Sky isn't quite that, but it is, it, it does have like some aspects of decentralization going on, at least from what I can tell. I haven't played with it yet, uh, but from a lot of people from their hands-ons with it, it just seems like a very simple Twitter. Um, it lacks some crucial accessibility features. People are talking about you cannot put alt tags on images. So, you know, I feel like basic things for the web and for usability for a large portion of users are not there. But it is getting the, like, weirdness of Twitter. And I feel like that's it. You got to follow where Drill goes. You got to follow where the weirdos go because if you want the <laughs> yeah. the vibes of like weird Twitter and the the comedy behind it and just the drama around it, you kind of have to follow them. And it seems like Blue Sky is where they're going. Um, you know, if if you're lucky enough to try Blue Sky, folks, let us know what you think. Podcastinggadget.com. Real quick, we've got some AI updates as well uh, because uh, again. A week cannot go by without more AI updates. I just wrote up this news last night. Uh, Microsoft announced it's opening up its Bing AI for public testing. Uh, you do not need to use a, There's no wait list anymore. You don't have to like wait at all. Um, you just have to sign in on Edge with your, your uh, Microsoft account and then go to Bing. And then you can just use the Bing chat, which is powered by GPT-4. They're also adding a whole bunch of new features. There's going to be chat history, so you can actually go back and see your conversations with Bing AI. You can continue a conversation. They are eventually going to add sharing and exporting features as well. Um, And also the Bing image creator, which uses Dolly to create uh, AI-generated pictures. That is getting a little more enhanced within uh, Bing AI. Now it supports up to 100 languages, which is like all the languages Bing typically supports. Hey, it's growing. Uh, Jess, have you played with any of this stuff? No, not being like, not should being. I, should I be should interested? Should I, again, should I care? Again, okay. you should, you should go play okay. with it because we just talked I'll about the it. WGA thing. Um, and you could do it pretty easily. If you download the Bing app to your phone, your iPhone or Android, you could get to it as well. You will have to sign into your Microsoft account. I would spend Is some this time playing around with it. Mm-hmm. Different than chat GPT. Significantly. Uh, so- it's the same deal. Uh, Bing AI yeah. is powered by GPT-4, which was okay. the newer, the slightly more advanced version of ChatGPT. So at this point, you really don't need to spend time with ChatGPT itself. I don't think they put in GPT-4 there yet. Um, Bing AI is like the thing to play with and Google's Bard. Um, it is nice to like compare Bard, compare how they both work together. I think Bing AI just seems like, man, Microsoft got a big leap ahead because they were pouring money into OpenAI for such a long time and they just seem ready to integrate the stuff into bing into uh, edge itself um into windows 11 there's like Bing integrated on my taskbar now um it does seem like microsoft is building a platform around bing ai that is more than just like you're going here and you're going to go search the web and you're going to leave bing forever this is more like you're in microsoft office now like you, bing ai could be something you're using every day to answer simple questions to fetch things for you from the web to collate information so yeah just i'd recommend you spend some time with it i'd recommend all our listeners spend some time with this stuff um even if you don't think it's going to be a big deal i think it's worth knowing how it works um because yeah it's this all progressing so quickly we only they only launched this thing three months ago and now they're ready to open it entirely you know for the public to test this isn't an official launch um maybe that'll happen towards the end of the year but things are moving fast, and I think you should pay attention to what's happening here. That goes for everybody. There's also a story about George Hinton, the quote-unquote godfather of AI. 
um, who recently left Google and now has plenty of worries that uh, uh, AI will be could cause a lot of harm. So there's coverage of this uh, at the New York Times and a lot of major news sites. He is somebody in 2012, like I believe, like he created the tech that would basically serve as a foundation for a lot of um, the way any of these things work, like how ChatGPT works and how Google um, Bard works. And he's done a lot of research on this. And now this guy has basically left Google and is doing the Oppenheimer thing. And he even like references the Oppenheimer quotes like, yeah, Uh, he kind of has looked at what he has created and what these companies are doing. And he's very worried about how quickly Microsoft and OpenAI and everybody are moving to launch these things without looking at the potential um, issues around them. And I think the uh, these articles are worth a read, um, especially the New York Times one, because it's by Cade Metz. And he has always done really interesting work around like big tech and chips and things like that. So check that out. And there is some like, I don't know how you think about this, Jess, like when you hear of somebody who has created this thing that has the potential for harm and is now like, oh no, I have made a lot of money from this and now I am against it. How do you, how do you feel like first up with his, his, I don't know, his turning around on this? I don't want to discourage anyone from admitting when they've taken something too far or made a mistake. You know, hey, we're all human. I think AI itself, I can see how you could get into it from an excited place of the possibilities of the things it can do. I do think when you're at that level and you're truly building systems that that can do all the things AI can do, the worlds it can like really open for us, I think it would be hard not to think about that early on in the process, right? Um, maybe he's been bringing up all these concerns the whole time. Um, I, I still feel like there, yeah, there is no system in place for for any of these companies to be kept in check um, to actually make sure we're we're doing things in a way that it, is going to benefit. They all society. say like we were looking at AI ethics. We we are paying attention to that. Microsoft yeah. said that at the end of the Bing announcement, I'm like, e- are you? We just saw the news about you like laying off a huge amount of that staff. Um, there's also criticism against George Hinton because he's like. It's a little alarmist mainly, and also he's not bringing up the issues people are talking about right now in that, you know, the data sets are based on things that have been, you know, fed um, things that already exist and things that also have their own like underlying uh, issues with them when it comes to representation and diversity and things like that. There are also people saying like he should have probably spoken up sooner when Tim Gebru and other people at Google were saying, hey, this is a problem and they were fired. Because they were trying to like stop this uh, the tidal wave of progress that Google was kind of pursuing in AI, um, I think those are all valid complaints. But I also think we should probably just like yeah, pay attention to what this guy is saying too, and listen to a lot of other um, folks in this field. I've talked about Emily Bender quite a bit. Um, she's also somebody who's like a great AI researcher and commentarian, and her whole thing is. These these a lot of these folks are talking about like the doom and gloom apocalypse, like a Terminator scenario, when like the actual harms of AI are more like the things we're talking about now. It's like what the WGA writers are worried about, like what it could do for their business. There have been all sorts of stories about people being um misidentified by um, you know, by facial recognition technology, which is is kind of in a similar vein. So these are all things we should be worrying about and we should be asking more questions and hopefully we'll see more regulation soon. Um, but yeah, check out these articles about George Hinton. It is, uh, it's just a wild thing to see That's what we're working very... on. Yeah, go ahead, Jess. No, I'm just, it's just really relevant. It's kind of interesting to think about the time we're living in, in terms of AI. Like it, it feels like a pretty, um, this is a milestone moment that we're living through. So yeah, I think paying attention to all these things is for sure pretty important. The yeah. weird, it feels like whiplash to me. It feels like milestone after milestone after milestone. Like we're just going to keep pumping and everyone's like, hey, wait, maybe we should slow down. This could be potentially harmful to society or, you know, how we pursue information or anything like that. And we're just going to keep barreling towards it. So I don't know. That's kind of where I stand. I'm certainly worried about like what it could mean for the way we process information, and honestly, the nature of reality, because the deep fakes coming are going to be horrifying and terrifying and could could potentially like change global politics, too. It is just it's a weird thing to see. Let's move on to what we're working on. And I've been talking for a while. So Jess. What are you working on? Um, yeah, so I am deep in planning for Summer Game Fest, not E3 2023. Not E3. 
Is that the um, hashtag yeah, so like, not E3? Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> not that should all just E3s. be the hashtag. Yeah. No, uh, no, it's just uh, it's weird to think about a summer game convention that isn't E3. But hey, Summer Game Fest has stepped up, and there's going to be plenty, plenty of coverage coming out of that. Um, lots of hands-ons, lots of like time with developers, uh, which that's all stuff I really, really miss. You know, it yeah. hasn't been the same since the pandemic. And uh, so this is going to be the first like really exciting one for me. I'm, I'm really stoked. So yeah, I'm deep in planning for that right now. Gotcha. We didn't actually get to chat like when they announced that E3 wasn't happening this year, Jess. And it honestly, like reading that announcement, I was like, E3 is just dead. I don't think E3 is ever coming back. Like, what do you think about E3 as a, as a concept now? Yeah, I mean, I, we published an article by me in 2018 where I was talking about the death of E3, the coming death of E3. It just, it was sped up so much because of the pandemic, obviously. And yeah, I don't know what E3 looks like after this, if it comes back. I could see, I could very clearly see a future where, yeah, we never get another E3. And that is a little sad. <laughs> like, I don't, I didn't expect to feel that way, but it is a little sad. End of an era, I would say. Summer I mean, Game did, Fest did you, did you is, is really cool, it? though. Did you grow up with the mm-hmm. concept of E3 as something you've always wanted to attend, Jess? I feel like that's what's been happening to a lot of us. Yeah, like I I was very much into Comic-Con and all the like all the geeky conventions and stuff. And then I was very quickly, luckily in my career, very quickly able to go to E3. So that was just like it's always been a part of my career in this industry. And um, it it's a huge part of, of my personal story. Like I have so many memories of E3. I can, the, the smell of the, the show floor even like, you know, it's just like, maybe don't very remember specific. that. Or the but smell of the bathroom. Get it, <laughs> get it out of my head. <laughs> yeah. I've seen the horrors I've seen in those bathrooms. Oh my God. Um, yes. But the, yeah, well, of hey, E3... the, the women's bathroom was always a little cleaner at E3. There were always a lot more men there for some reason. Mm. Weird. The things yeah. I've seen in urinals at E3, man. Yeah. Don't, don't. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Okay, Jess. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to look forward to that coverage and uh, some things I'm working on. Um, I actually just had a piece to go up this morning. I talked with Nita Manzur, the uh, director and writer of Polite Society, which is this awesome new movie. Um, I'll talk about this, actually. I talked about it before. It's it's the one about um, uh, British-Pakistani teens. It's about a young girl who wants to become a stunt, you know, stunt double, a stunt actor. And uh, her sister is in, gets engaged to somebody, and she's like, "I got to save my sister against this evil, you know, husband's mother." It is a weird mishmash of like Scott Pilgrim and all sorts of things. Like Scott Pilgrim meets Bend It Like Beckham. I think there are like legit fight sequences in this movie, and they are shot like like you know like The Matrix or something because Nita Manzur is an absolute geek. So I talked with her about how she lives with tech and also I'm trying to find excuses to talk to people who are not always like straight tech related. So I feel like maybe this is our angle and I recorded that interview. So if you actually stay tuned to the end of this episode, we will put that up there and you can hear our conversation. Um, what she thinks of Spotify, um, her favorite old tech, what she's looking forward to in the future. This is a new thing I'm working on. So let me know if you guys like this style of interview as well. Okay. Let's move on to our pop culture picks for the week. Uh, just what you got. Oh, I am already in character for this one. <laughs> I've been wearing a Vanderpump Rules uh, related sweater this whole uh-huh. time. Uh-huh. And you didn't know. I didn't so yeah, know. I'm deep in I'm deep into Vanderpump Rules right now. Um, like Bravo shows in general. I love the Real Housewives franchise, Married to Medicine. But Vanderpump is just like really popping off. I'm sure the scandal has made it to the mainstream news sites. There's a big cheating scandal. And okay. I am supporting Ariana today. So. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm smiling That's nodding. It. That's all I Can got you, for you. There's I've I've been reading, <laughs> I feel like it's been a decade now when I've been hearing about Vanderpump rules. Can you what is this? Is this like a what spinoff from something that already yeah. this is a spinoff of Real Housewives, right? It's a spinoff of? of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So Lisa Vanderpump, one of those housewives, she has a bunch of restaurants in LA. And so it follows the, her staff who when it started, they were young, you know, just like they were all just messing around with each other, cheating on each other, very dramatic. But now they're like pushing 40 and doing the same thing. Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> but like it's it has just like really culminated in this moment right now where we're watching 
these two people lie to their friends all season about an affair that we know they are having. And then at the reunion, <laughs> we're going to get to see them torn apart. So it's like, it's like, it's a very meta experience right okay. now. Okay. Um, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Whatever brings you joy in this hellscape, Jess, this sounds like a lot Absolutely. of fun. Absolutely. It sounds like fun. <laughs> I want to talk about a couple of things. Um, I've been watching Silo, the new uh, adaptation of um, of the Hugh Howey Wool books. And Silo, I guess, became the name of the series of books. But Wool was a book that he self-published on Amazon, I believe, and then got really popular. This was like one of the first like big self-published things. And like I don't know if it kickstarted that trend, but it was certainly a big part of that trend. It's about a people in the dystopian future who live in an underground silo with a lot of rules and regulations. You can't go outside. Um, what happens in sci-fi, folks? They, people break the rules. People are like, why can't I go outside? What's that? Do you, do you have a conspiracy? What's going on here? This is another one of those stories, but I'm breaking it up because it, this is actually really, really well done. I've never read the books, but my wife is into them, uh, mostly because I feel like this concept has just been done over and over again. I've seen this concept so many times. What is great about Silo is that it is uh, developed by Graham Yost, who did Justified on TV. And if you want some of that, like, nice texture of wor of a world and of characters. This show has that. Um, the actual underground silo sets and the whole universe about of it just feels very real and very lived in. It's really well designed, incredibly well acted. And the show just like takes really interesting chances. Um, you, like you see Rebecca Ferguson, who's in the Mission Impossible movies. She's on the posters. She's the one like they're being, you know, they're parading around as the lead of the show. The first episode, she shows up for maybe a minute at the end. The first episode takes its time and tells you the story about David Oyelowo and uh, and his wife, played by uh, what's her name? Keep forgetting her name. Um, another famous actress, but it is um, it's really really fascinating. Like this is a show that doesn't rush to get you into places. It's very well written and very smart about everything it's doing. So if you like science fiction, and if you like these dystopian stories about, you know, very secluded societies where uh, there may be conspiracies and there's a lot of rules involved uh, with where they live, this is definitely one worth checking out. This is on Apple TV Plus, and I believe it starts airing today. I also checked out Suzume. And real quick, I just want to say this is Makoto Shinkai's next movie. He's the director of Your Name and other, like, big, you know, big, big anime big also slice of life anime that tends to have like supernatural elements to it this movie is really fascinating and i don't know if you could still see it in theaters i think this was the last week it's out there so jess i see you clapping um try to see in theaters if you can this is I a did. big okay okay great this is a big beautiful movie <laughs> about a girl who goes on a mission to sort of prevent disasters around japan but also as somebody like i've done a lot of research around japan like i spend way too much time watching anime too it is interesting culturally, like what this movie is getting at, because it is sort of like the idea that Japan is this place where these disasters are just kind of bound to happen. And the society is just often like rebuilt around it. And there's this lingering sense of like loss of what happens in uh, in Japan specifically to you. This explores a lot and it goes a lot of interesting places. It also has a talking chair. I don't understand. I still don't understand the talking chair, but uh, yeah, yeah. Jess, what did you think of this movie? Oh, I, I was in love. Um, it's, it made me cry, but that's mm -hmm. just pretty standard. Uh, for, the standard for these movies. Stuff, yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. But it, it was very heartfelt and, and truly beautiful. Um, and then, yeah, there's a talking, walking chair, which is just talking, fantastic. Chair. It's fantastic. It's really well animated. Um, Shinkai's last movie was Weathering with You, which is also one of the more interesting, like climate change commentaries i've seen out there is just like hey man deal with it like <laughs> it's not up to us to fix climate change i don't know uh bothering with you was interesting i think i like this one more neither are as good as like your name i feel like your name was like such a such a like masterful film and your name also sold the sort of like romance between the characters more strongly whereas this one was like i like chair i love chair actually yeah. i love chair <laughs> <laughs> that's the movie but it's a lot of fun and Makoto Shinkai stuff I'm always down with so yeah check it out if you can I'm sure it's gonna be on VOD and uh, maybe Blu-ray eventually that's it for this episode our theme music is by game composer Dale North our outro music is by our very own managing editor Terrence O'Brien the podcast is produced by Ben Elman you can find me online at at Devendra on Twitter who knows how long that'll last I'm also on Mastodon at at Devendra at Mastodon.social and uh, Jess where can we find you online yeah, I am on Instagram. That's where I live nowadays. So <laughs> at Jess L. Condit on Instagram. That's me. 
All right. I do like your Instagram. You post some really interesting photos, Jess. Uh, you can always email us at podcastandgadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts. Thanks, folks. We're out. Okay, folks, here's my interview with Nita Manzur, the director of Polite Society. I've talked about this movie before. I genuinely love it. And I wanted to talk with Nita about how she lives with technology, both for work and play. This is a new thing we're trying, but let me know if you want to hear more conversations like this. Here's Nita. Nita Mazur, thank you so much for joining us on the Engadget podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. It's great. It's great to have you. And just want to say, yeah, I loved We Are Lady Parts. I loved Polite Society. I'm very happy that everybody's going to get a chance to see it soon. Can you tell us, what what is Polite Society about in a nutshell? Ooh. Polite Society, I'd say, is an action comedy about a teenage girl who dreams of being a stunt woman, and she idolizes her big sister, who's this artist. But when her older sister drops out of art school and decides to get married, our teenage hero decides to take it upon herself to break off that wedding. And there's heist, there's kung fu, there's <laughs> sisterly love, but there's also a lot of violence. It's yeah, it's a wild ride, I'd say. I love it. It's a uh, it is. I don't know if I describe it like a mix between like Bend It Like Beckham and Scott Pilgrim or something like some fever dream of movies I love. So, yes, uh, that is that is very cool. But I wanted to chat with you today, Nita, about technology and how you gadget and how you live with technology in your life, because, uh, you know, you're, you're a young artist. Surely, surely you are tech enabled, I assume. So I have to ask you, Nita Manzur, how do you gadget? How do I gadget? How do you gadget? What are the things you rely on day to day? Oh dear. I I rely on oh man my sort of music playlists. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm always constantly building playlists and and that is like I've been relying on Spotify to to hook me up with new stuff and the algorithm knows me better than I know myself by this point. Um but you know, the in my film music is so important. So I'm and as I write television, I'm always sort of finding new sort of music and new playlists mm-hmm. to kind of is Spotify like your main gateway? Are you into all the other services and the hi-fi stuff? I think no. Spotify is my main gateway. How do you how do you yeah. listen to Spotify? Is it just uh, computer speakers? Do you have headphones you like? I listen to through my headphones. Nothing too exciting. Just my JBLs. You know, pretty low key. But um, yeah, I'm always kind of on there finding new music. That's cool. And I've read interviews about you, Nita, that, you know, you're a very musical person. I know We Are Lady Parts is a very music focused thing. Um, That is cool. That's cool. I would recommend to you maybe to make your life a little easier. I don't know. AirPods Pro, like totally worth it if you're an iPhone user. And I assume you're going to be doing a lot of traveling. So maybe you want to get the fancy Apple studio headset because when you're on a plane, you just want to black out the noise, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I need to get that. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to take a page from Brett Goldstein's podcast, who I also love. Um, He does uh, films to be buried with, Um, but kind of like that. Sorry to tell you, Anita, but there has been a global catastrophe. All tech innovation is dead. Okay. We have Mm -hmm. up until what we have now. So like for a Mad Max future, what is the one device you will take with you moving forward into life? The one device. I would, I mean, I'm a writer and I need my laptop. I need, a lap- can I take a charger as well? I mean. Yeah, sure. That- we'll, we'll have solar energy. We'll have figured out that oh, part sorry. of it. Okay, but you get cool. one, you yeah. get one gadget, right? There it is. A laptop. Anything that has letters on it and I can write some, some jokes, then I'm happy. That's great. And uh, yeah, I feel like that's a, that's a writer's answer. I feel like I would yes. say the same. Um, and it, it's unfortunate. You know, we had, we had such a. You know, magical few decades, um, you know, of extreme tech innovation. Can you tell us, like, you know, what is, what is the thing you miss the most about old tech? Like, maybe something you grew up with. Uh, do you miss the way the internet used to be before social media? Do you miss old style phones? Whoa, I, I do. I miss a flip phone because mm-hmm. you know you can get off the phone and be like flip, and it's yeah. like a kind of nice punctuation. Feels the good. Yeah, it's good. Ah, I miss the kind of you know when you the wireless kind of ringtone of the when you're like connecting to the internet you gotta wait for it and then you can't use the landline uh you know there's this the simple beauties of like you can only use it at this time and it's this, uh i feel like oh. the limits right it was the limits that kind of made it more special back then right exactly mm-hmm. exactly i mean that was amazing 
I miss playing my Game Boy. I mean, I can still play it, but you know, you just like just sticking it in. It just like the. Uh, I mean, that I could I could probably find my. You could probably find that. Uh, I would recommend another thing to you. Then uh, there's this Please. thing called the Analog Pocket, which is a cool little Ooh. device that takes in uh, Game Boy cartridges, but you could also like put in a little SD card filled with games to that. But don't tell anybody. Um, but it's like Game Boy sized, and you could just <gasps> take it around. It has a beautiful screen, so. I feel okay. like, I don't know, treat yourself after the success of this movie, right? I will. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Moving forward, like into the future, I want to know, first of all, I want to see a sci-fi project from you at some point, Nita. Um, I will not say anything about sci-fi in this movie, but what is the dream invention you've always wanted? Uh, what, do you, what do you want to exist in 10 or 20 years? Uh, do you want to call that out now? You know what I want to exist? You know the, the first Matrix film where like Neo has a thing he gets he has a thing it's plugged into his head and he gets like kung fu downloaded and then he's like I can do kung fu I want to do that I want to be able to uh -huh. like download skills does that count That's I want that's so weird like upload it you want like brain uh, computer interface to like just get absorb data basically exactly. right you want that and then but yeah for mainly for so I can fight kung fu and fly on the wall and like basically be neo in the matrix that's, that's great I, that's, that's great that's well, listen you're after my own heart i feel like because between <laughs> between polite society and uh wanting to inject everything like neo um i can tell what your references are can you tell us like what are what were some of your inspirations for polite society because i can see it here i see the matrix i see old school kung fu too is there anything obscure mm. that really you latched onto as a kid that you brought to life through polite society oh god they so I think, yeah, you're right. Like the Matrix was there, but then, you know, the Matrix was my gateway into, into that old Kung Fu, the work of the great fight choreographer, Wu Ping, Yen Wu Ping. I looked at- A legend, the film yeah. Made, you know, a legend, Dreadnought, which is his com his action comedy, which is on a whole other level of intricate, like it's mind boggling. So like that was a film that I would, I would watch and be so inspired by. I mean, Jackie Chan is big for me and it is like, his mix of comedy and action I think that's like that was like huge in my life and then you know a more recent reference rather than a, an older one was I what, remember watching Get Out in the theaters mm -hmm. and thinking oh wow you can take you lots can do of this yeah. you can do this yeah and the way the way I mean Jordan Peele constructs tone it's like masterful and tone is something I love trying to sort of grapple with in my own it's like how do you make this work how can you bring these things together and just seeing how how he works with comedy made me really kind of believe in my own script again gotcha i mean i yeah uh, so you you were working on the script uh what a decade ago so well before get out but you had this kernel of an idea did get out kind of make it seem more possible to you like was it easier to pitch now that get out was a yeah. thing mm -hmm. get out made it seem more possible you know scott pilgrim was huge for me as well because incredible I you know, living incredible movie i live in a post scott pilgrim world so people i was speaking to edgar wright and he you know no again that that reference wasn't there for me to really fight harder and like really push that, that this film that these fights works it all makes sense mm -hmm. so whereas like people have a shorthand now so you know i benefited from the work of great filmmakers like john like edgar wright to be able to have the, set, the landscape is mm -hmm. kind of set and I can play in the different sandboxes and people have frames of reference for these things. Absolutely. I, I do feel like Scott Pilgrim is one of those movies that needs to be like reconsidered. And I do like we should consider a masterpiece. I saw that at Comic-Con during the premiere. I'm not sure like when you first saw it, Nita, wow. but it was an amazing thing where Edgar Wright just like led us, led the whole crowd of Hall H, like a thousand, a thousand people through the streets of San Diego to a theater to be like, hey, let's go watch Scott Pilgrim. And it was kind of an amazing time. Yeah. Maybe. Love him. I can totally see the influences here too. Um, you know, is there anything you want to talk about just in terms of how you created this film uh, on a technical level? Like I see a lot of wire work here. Um, I assume like there was a lot of training involved for the actors too, but mm -hmm. you've never really done big action like this too. Like what, can you tell us about the technical aspects of making this movie, making those big flying kicks look so good? And uh, you know, what did you learn tech wise making this? I mean, I learned everything making this, but you know, I, my approach to to the action was really one where I wanted to get the actors to do as much as possible because I just feel like when you're watching an action movie and they rely too much on stunt stunties, it there's a you lose a bit of the character in the performances. And I wanted so the actors were training for weeks and weeks beforehand. I love it again. Thank the Matrix for making that yes. a thing for everybody to do. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Thank the Matrix indeed. Watching that making of blew my mind. I feel like the making of was as important to me as the Matrix mm-hmm, itself. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, there was that element. And then, you know, it was a real learning curve of like, how do we, how do we want to shoot this? What angles, studying other action scenes, storyboarding it really intricately, because again, you know, we are, we had a sort of a fairly tight um, schedule and there was a lot we wanted to do. Um and just also trying to make ground the action in the character. So it's like with a sister fight, that was going to be the most brutal, the most bloody and the most destructive, just because that's how it feels like when you fight with your sibling. And then, you know, where's the boss level fight? That was our most Hong Kong Kung Fu Wuxia inspired <laughs> fight because that's where this elegant woman is coming to kick some ass. So we it needed to have a bit of that flair. And it was always trying to ground it in character, but also for me, it's like finding where a comedy beat, the, where a comedy could also punctuate those fight scenes. And again, just studying the work of Jackie Chan, looking how Edgar Wright does it and just like seeing how I can use comedy to just add that other dimension was also really exciting. Have you seen John Wick 4 yet? Because I feel like that is a, it's a three hour um, long devotion to pure action through character and action cinema. It is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a wonderful, joyful, it's the best but I also knew with my film, because we're not operating at that level yeah. of action, um, you know, we've got our, our budgetary restraints and this is my first my first rodeo, if you will. What I had to bring, what was interesting, different about my film and the action is that it's not, it's it's the context. It's right. like, who's fighting? It's, it's sisters. It's about, you know, a woman's rage. It's, you know, it's kind of finding where it can it can the comedy can work within it rather than it being like I can't you know I'm not like pushing the envelope if anything it's like I'm kind of, the, the fights are fairly short but it's like how can they speak to the characters and how can they speak to the situation well you know as a film fan I also appreciate it. you framed it well you shot wide like you can see people doing things which is <laughs> that's all you. I want that's all I want in my action you know yeah. so Nita oh, yeah. I'm sure we're gonna have to wrap soon I have uh, one more question for you like any updates on what you're working on like I know we are lady part season two we're all excited about that. I don't know if there's anything you could say about that. Um, any other film projects or anything else that you're working on? Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, work, Lady Part Series Two, Series Two, and then I am, you know, just developing more action movies, wanting to just see where I can push it. I I, I had such a blast directing action, and I want to do more of it, and I want to learn and like improve and like see new kinds of use the genre to explore different kinds of stories and different sort of points of view so i feel very excited to be working more in action gotcha nita manzur for a brown james bond how about that or you <laughs> how know, about that let's let's yeah let's do the gender flip on that too that would be a lot of fun i'd love to see it that would be fun <laughs> that would be so much fun thank you so much nita <laughs> where can we find you on the internet these days mate i know this is engaged but i i honestly i'm not you're on not the on it i, I don't exist well, I, I did read that you had to escape social media for a while and I understand. Understandable for a lot of people. So, yeah. Yeah, I had to. I was going to come back, but then I'm just like, I don't know. I'm happy. I'm happy to just observe from afar. (laughs) That's all good. That's all good. So people can catch We Are Lady Parts on Peacock, hopefully season two soon, within a year or two, I would say. And uh, Polite Society is out in theaters now. Thank you so much, Nita Mansour. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.